oh yeah, he can't love you like I love you. Hey, there's a little Michael Stanley band. Um, in honor of uh, Michael Stanley band, he passed away at the age of 72 um, over the this past weekend. And uh, if you're from Cleveland uh, and you're in my age bracket, you know Michael Stanley band. Um, we were kind of proud of him in, in, in Northeast Ohio. He, uh, he had a few hits. That was one of them. He Can't Love You. He had a song called This Town and a couple more, but never quite made it on the national scene, although he toured, um, he toured all over, but never quite could uh, make it to the top. But uh, just a great guy from Cleveland, Ohio. And I just wanted to honor him today because he did pass away at the age of 72 from uh, throat cancer. So um, you got you to gotta like your when your hometown guys uh, do well. And, and, of course, he was on local radio for many, many, many years. And just uh, seemed like a great guy and made some good songs. And he was proud of being from Cleveland. And uh, I don't know, really, really liked and appreciated Michael Stanley. So... Hey, well, good morning. You you are listening to Mornings with Ken, and I'm so glad you stopped by. Today is Monday, and I'm happy to be alive. Happy for another week. Looking forward to uh, a, another week. And um, got some good stuff coming up this week. I have another book review. Actually, probably gonna, we're going to do the book review um, probably on the other side of the break. I have a new book that I just finished. That was recommended to me, and uh, I wanted to kind of give it a little review. So, um, hey, stick a while, stick around, get your cup of coffee, get your virtual donut, and let's get this money started. Let's get this Monday started off, uh, started off well. So, all right, hey, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back, guys. Get settled in. Get settled in. Get rested. Get your cup of coffee. All right. Hey, let's do this thing. Hey, the book review for this week is The End of White Christian America by Robert P. Jones. Again, The End of White Christian America by Robert P. Jones. And... um. Like I said, this book was recommended to me. And it's an interesting read. It kind of goes over the history of the white church in America. And 
basically how powerful it was at the very beginning of American history. And it goes through the different uh, years, decades, um, about how it, you know, came to power, what it did to come to power politically, politically, um, I mean by that. So, you know, for example, how um, a huge Methodist church in downtown Washington, D.C. kind of was, you know, one of the largest buildings in D.C. in the early years of D.C. and how powerful it was, you know, in, in politics and how over the years when it saw some decline, that once Christian building church had been taken over and became an institution repurposed into various non-Christian um, organizations that came into the building. And um, I believe there was the Is uh, Islam um, Center there and a few other um, different non-Christian um, organizations that took over the building and repurposed it. So basically, um, the the book speaks to the decline of what what the author calls the white Christian America. And I think a lot of it isn't new, or at least it wasn't new to me. Um, I've kind of observed. I think we all have, if we pay attention to um, politics and in the world, how only well, the United States. How you can kind of see the, I'm not sure what term to use. He uses white Christian America. I would say, hmm, conservative Americans have uh, slowly been losing influence in politics. You know, they've had their high marks um, during the early years, uh, well, Forties, uh, fifties, and a decline in the sixties and seventies, and well, a kind of an increase in the seventies, and an increase in the eighties, but in the late eighties, um, and nineties and two thousands, um, the white Christian America, as far as far as politics, has lost its influence, and the author kind of says, you know, basically it's you know, what's going to take its place and what does the white Christian American church, I guess, do while it's losing its power? How, do, how does the white Christian church um, accept this? What's going to be their role? So, and once the majority and uh, soon to become the minority. And the author does talk about uh, the demographics changing, the population changing. Um, of course, you have a lot of Latinos uh, moving in from the South. Um, white birth populations have been uh, down. Um, so, and the once powerful white Christian church split um, to a liberal side and a, and a evangelical conservative side, but it seems the liberal side 
has more power in politics. And uh, I would say, you know, using the black church um, helped the liberal um, church become more powerful, more influential, influential than the conservative church. At least that's the premise of this book by the author. Um, again, this this is uh, his take on, you know, the white Christian America. So it's it's an interesting read. It is interesting. It, it's uh, some of it was new and new to me in the sense of. Uh, at different times and stages of American history, who the church has um, worked with to try to um, gather the power source and be and remain politically relevant. I can't even talk. But to keep the power, um, what the church has done by teaming up with the Catholic Church on the abortion issue. But um, basically, yeah, the book is just really talking about the decline and the book goes through and gives the church a eulogy, uh, which I found interesting. Um, you know, it, the author proposes that we're at a funeral, and he's giving the eulogy to the to white Christian America. And uh, at the end of the book, he gives a benediction, benediction um, about the white Christian uh, America. So, it, what I t- what I took from the book. It's really, I guess, in, in my way of looking at the author Robert P. Jones is basically saying to, I think he's speaking to the church. He uses the term white Christian America, but that is way too broad, way too broad. I, I don't know how you make something that broad because that's almost meaning it's almost a meaningless term because the word christian has different meanings to different groups of people so i think it's first of all it's a very broad very broad statement or or title but basically his premise is hey if you guys want to stay in play you guys need to move in my opinion, I don't think he comes out and says, well, he kind of does, but you get, you need to move to the left. You need to be more liberal. So if the church is going to survive, it needs to be more liberal. To me, it's kind of like, well, you know, you kind of just need to give up and uh, join the, the progressive movement. And uh, so, yeah, so it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, a call, I guess, to white Christians to become liberal or die. And he speaks of, uh, you know, people dancing on the grave of white Christian America. And, uh, but, you know, I see that, well, to me, it doesn't come as a surprise. You can see the decline of moral values, the acceptance of, uh, Different things that once was called sin, we don't call them sin anymore. We just accept it. And, uh, yeah, so it's, to me, it, it just comes across as be prepared to be the minority politically. And if you want to stay, you know, if you want to stay in, in the mix of politics, 
become progressive or you're going to be left behind because um, it looks like the progressive church, according to him, is stronger in politics. And I think they're, I don't think he says it in a book, but just from my own observation, it seems progressive Christianity has really teamed up with the social justice movement and have been, you could see it politically today and even on television, you could see the whole movement, um, you know, uh, the left, the progressive church, um, social justice, getting really away from uh, anything white, you know, really the, the cancelization, the cancelization of, of uh, whiteness, I guess. Um, so really, I think it's kind of a, I wouldn't say divisive. I would just say it's matter of, matter of fact that, hey, you know, white Americans, your demographics are changing. You're slowly becoming the minority. By 2042, we should be the minority. Um, so it's a matter of fact, and it's like almost like, what are you going to do? What's going to be your response? And should mercy be shown to the losers of the culture wars? Because that's really, to me, what this has been. It's been a culture war. And um, I think we lost the culture war. I think it's plain to see we lost the culture war. Um, if you have a Christian worldview, now unless you have a liberal point of view, then I guess you won the culture war. And So anyway, that's the book. The End of White Christian America, Robert P. Jones. Do I recommend it? If, if this kind of thing interests you, um, sure, if you want to see what the left thinks where America is headed or, and, and you want to stay you know, up to date on that kind of thing, then it's probably going to be a good read. If... <laughs> If you don't want to hear um, truthful facts about where America is going, then don't read it. Um, I don't necessarily, I'm not happy with the facts that I know is happening in America, the events. and But uh, I guess I'm a realist. I, I see it going in that direction. And I think, unfortunately... You know, we've we've lost part of the black church to liberalism. Not all, again, so my listeners hear me correctly. I think we lost part of the black church to liberalism. And, uh, but I don't think there's going to be enough um, white Christian conservatives and black Christian conservatives to... Um, turn the political tide. And to me, I'll go on a little bit more about the book. To me, this isn't about the politics of who has power. I don't place much importance on who has the political power. I'm not spiritually tied to any party, but I'm tied to Jesus Christ and his great commission So, 
yes, do I believe in doing good works out of our salvation? Absolutely. Do I believe that, you know, the great go into all, all the world and make disciples? Absolutely. But I question what kind of disciples is the left trying to make? And um, I think the Christian left, is there, if there is such a thing, is more concerned about social justice. And I'm not just talking about black social justice. I'm talking about uh, the social gospel than they are of the gospel. So I think they've replaced the gospel with a total social just social gospel. And they're not going to admit to that. Um, I'm pretty sure they're probably not going to admit to that. Um, but that's, I think, what's happening. So I don't see the evangelical Christian church being the strongest in political power, but I'm not worried about the political power. I'm worried about the spiritual power and truly the only thing that's going to turn anything around is spiritual revival but I don't think the left is concerned about spiritual revival or I think they would have a different view of spiritual revival I think the Christian left reviews a spiritual revival as doing the good works which is awesome but it's not it's not the gospel. The gospel is the rescue of man from separation from God. That's the gospel. Turning lives around. You know, like, it's funny, I think of the song, Things I Used to Do, I Don't Do No More. Um, old, old gospel song. Old blues song, really. And... Um, how that used to be salvation, a radical change in someone's life, bringing them into salvation. But now salvation is really social justice in the left's uh, opinion. So if you want salvation, um, become woke and, and, and begin social justice, and then you found salvation. Um, and in my opinion, anyway. So once again, the book, The End of the White Christian America, Robert P. Jones. Um, interesting read. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's a good, it's a good discussion on Christianity. But I think it's a factual political book. I think it's more of a political, political book than it is a discussion on white Christian America. I think well, at any rate, um, there it is. That's that's my uh, book review for this week. So, hey, let's take another quick break, and I'll be right back. Whoa, today's weather, a high of 55 and a low of 39. Good Lord.
Hey, welcome back. And if you've been a listener to Mornings with Ken um, since the beginning, um, you know I used to do a Sunday morning uh, show I called um, Sunday School. I think I called it. Did I call it Sunday School with Ken? I don't remember now. Um, but um, on the subject, since I did the book review on the uh, basically the decline of uh, white Christian America as if as if white Christian America represents the church. It doesn't. But um, I, thought, I, I thought about, you know, the world for some of us is not going in the, to the direction that we think best represents our faith and um, living a righteous life. And yeah, so I think it's going in a direction that's immoral and you're going to start to see the church um, accept pluralism and, and universalism. I think that's a given. I think that's where the church is headed. Um, and, and we're going to start, you know, rejecting scripture and, and, and so to, to some extent the liberal, well, the liberal church has already rejected scripture. Um, and they place less value on it. Less, less, so I'm thinking, as the church, I don't care white or black, but as those of us who hold hold the scripture very highly, we're going to slowly become the minority for a while. And uh, so, what do we do? I was thinking, how do you remain? How do you mean remain strong during difficult times? And um, I didn't want Mornings with Ken to be a religious show, even though um, you know my faith. But in speaking of standing firm, I thought one of the best scriptures was Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. And uh, boy, it's so long. I want to read the whole chapter and then going into chapter 4. If you want to bear with me on Mornings with Ken here right now, and just whether you're a religious person or not, I think there holds some, well, I know, there's some value from what I'm about to read. And I don't have time to stop and go over verse by verse. But I'm going to go ahead and read some of this. You guys can tune out if you want. But I think this is beneficial whether you're a believer in Christ or not. I think this will kind of set the stage for what's coming. So um, let let me just go ahead and read Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I'm not sure how much I'm going to read because I, I want to read chapter 4 also. But just think, see what you can glean from these scriptures about the state of America and the decline of Western civilization. So let me go ahead and read this, chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful and proud. Abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, 
not lovers of the good. Can I go back real quick? Lovers of themselves and boastful and proud. You know, I think to what's currently the trend in, in, in the world we see today, you know, we have become lovers of ourselves to the extent that we're unhappy how God made us. So we're going to choose to decide to make ourselves in our own image of what we see ourselves as. And you could take that for however you want to interpret that. So I'm just going to go on here. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, having nothing to do. Oh, let me, let me read that again. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. I think that's so true for today. You know, there's a part of the church I think is going to, there's a part of the church that's going to be accepted by the world. It's going to be accepted by the world because it's going to look like the world. And it's, it's, it's going to accept everything the world is pushing right now. And that's been happening. It's already happening and it's going to continue to happen. The progressive church, I think, will be loved by the world. I really do think that. Um, politically, it's going to gain power. And it, it's, yeah, the, the, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power of the gospel. Have nothing to do with them. They are in, they are the kind who warm, warm their ways into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected but they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Hmm. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, and what kind of things happened to me in Antioch. The per persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, deceiving and being deceived, but for you continue in what you have learned and you have become convinced of because you know those whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Do we understand that? Or are we going to water that down? Are we going to water that down?
all scripture is God-breathed. I think some have watered that down. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I'm sorry if you can't if you weren't able to hang in there or you or you're finding this boring, but um I know a lot of my audience that audience that listens um are are believers in um the scripture. But you know, here Paul, you know, speaking to Timothy and he's warning um about uh yeah, you know, deceitfulness and and it just so fits into today's time let me run on to chapter four real quick in the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of this of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience careful instructions and right there, that's the part I have a little problem with. I don't have, sometimes I, I lose my patience. Um, I'm good to rebuke, but sometimes I'm impatient. And uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be that way. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Wow, I am so seeing that in churches today and in, in the left. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith now there is a store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me to do on that day and not only to me but also to those to all those who have longed for his appearing so you know it talks about you know preaching the gospel, the word, and for many from the people on the left, I think that they that the left believes that the Christian right or the Christian conservatives don't believe in the good works, but we do, and the good works should come out of our salvation, our living out. Our Christian lives should bring the good works, feeding the poor, taking care of the orphans and the widows, um, the homeless, and those that don't have the least of these. Yes, those are the good works that should come out of preaching the gospel and living the Christian life. But it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is preaching salvation. And uh, sometimes I know there's a fine line and people want to take, go one to extreme or one to the other extreme. But too often, I mean, what I'm seeing is the church on the left is going down this slippery, slippery slope 
and uh, they're changing their doctrine to be more in step with the world. And uh, I guess that's my uh, soapbox sermon um, for today. Um, and like I said, I didn't mean to uh, to be uh, teaching a Bible lesson today, but it kind of goes along with my book review um, that we did today. So there you have it. There you have it. That's my response um, to... Uh, Actually, that could be part of my book review if you want to look at it that way. Um, so, anyway, hey, be right back. I was at a casino. I was standing by the door. <laughs> and a security guard came over. He said, you're going to have to move. You're blocking the fire exit. As though if there was a fire, I wasn't going to run. <laughs> if you're flammable and have legs, you are never blocking a fire exit. So, as the world keeps changing, as the world keeps flipping upside down, uh, we're going to have to learn to agree to disagree without um, hating each other. That's going to be the big hurdle we have to jump over. We're going to have to still love each other, even though we disagree. And that doesn't mean we have to fall in line and go down the same path. It just means we're not going to call each other names, hurtful names, or or be cruel to one another. But we're going to agree to disagree. Hey, I'll still have you over for that barbecue, or I'll still go to the baseball game with you. But we're going to agree to disagree. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at a a few ways from... uh, Tectello.com, Tectello.com, interesting website. Um, Here's our five steps to disagree the right way. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on them, but uh, five steps to disagree the right way. Number one, separate your idea from your identity. So recognize that I am not my idea. So I may feel strongly about this idea, but I am not my idea. Um, that's that's interesting. Now that's good, I guess. You know, if in a in the business world, um, I'm not sure when if as when faith is brought into the equation. Um, I am my faith. I mean, I I hope I represent my faith, and. Uh, Next, I, I commit to sharing without fear and anxiety. So let, let me share with you about um, the way I see it without fear and anxiety. Um, rejection of my idea gives me opportunity to update my belief system. Well, it may give you the opportunity. Um, you need to find out where you stand. If you don't truly believe in something... Um, then if you don't truly believe in something, ask yourself why and do some more investigative work. But, um, yeah, you know what they say, if you don't, if you don't uh, stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But know why you believe what you believe would be my, my comment there. It's better to know than to assume I am right. 
It's better to know than assume I assume that I'm right. So if we're discussing something at work and uh, um, you know you we both have opposing views, don't just accept that I'm right to go along, but try to get more understanding um, with each other. Just don't assume. Put some challenge out there. Challenge me on it. Number two. Start with your intent. If you do not state your intent, people will create their own stories that fit their belief system. Their mind will not shut up without being, without building up a conceivable notion that explains your behavior. He or she thinks this way because... So before you disagree, ask yourself, why do I really disagree? That, that's a pretty good one. Why am I disagreeing with you right now? What's my agenda? What is my intent in sharing my disagreement? Is my intent just to prove that I'm right? Why do I think not sharing my disagreement is wrong? Why do I think not sharing my disagreement is wrong? With enough clarity about the purpose of your disagreement, start by stating your intent first. I intend to share my opinion to help us, though the current solutions covers blah, 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 it's missing. So what's my intention? Why do I disagree? I think is the most important point that sticks out to me. Why do I disagree? What is my intent in sharing my disagreement? I don't want to hurt you, but it's important that I share my disagreement. Number three, inquire the conflict. Ask yourself, why is this important to me? Why does, does the other person think this way? What, what can I learn by listening to the other person? What does their perspective teach me? How can I apply uh, Hazon's razor to learn about the other person? Not sure. I guess I was supposed to read uh, Halon's razor to understand that one. But I like what it says. Why is it important to me? Why is the subject matter that we're discussing important to me? And why does that other person think the way that they, you know, why does the other person think this way? Good, good, good. Number four, reframe the different positions and seek confirmation. Reframe different positions and seek confirmation. State your understanding of the final decision. Reemphasize why you still think the decision is wrong. State your risk as you see them. That's, that's good, especially in business. Hey, guys, I know you guys have decided to go down this path on this decision. Here are the risks, I think, that are out there for you guys making this your final decision. That's some good stuff there. Confirm your understanding by asking clarifying questions. Yes, get clarification. That is key, especially if you're in a meeting um, and, and you're deciding some important um, you know, uh, standards of operation procedures or work instructions, it's always the good to get clarity. Respect the decision instead of being in contempt with it. It's time to put on your commitment hat. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? In, in business, that is certainly true. Um, you have to respect the decision whether you like it or not. Um, number five, state you, state you disagree and commit. Disagree, disagree and commit reflects the mindset of a team over an individual. 
maturity to do what is best in the interest of the group and and sign of a leader who can rise to difficult situations by embracing the new reality. Instead of simply nodding to show a sign of support, explicitly say what to do, what do you commit to doing? Clarify that does this commit commitment mean to you and your team? Clarify what does this commitment mean to you and your team? Engage by seeking the same information from others. Discuss the strategy and tactics that need to be employed to make the decision successful. So there you have it. There are five um, ways to uh, agree to disagree from techtello.com, techtello.com. And uh, that's some helpful stuff there, especially in the business world. I'm not sure how it applies in the political world or um, the spiritual world. Um, but hey, it's good. Eventually, um, it, you know, you do have to agree to disagree. If you're in a position where, you know, you're, you're working together, at some point when the final decision is made, you have to commit to it and uh, get her done, get her done. And I think in the spiritual world, as we talk about the Christian church, um, we can agree to disagree. Um, I probably can't help you um, go down your liberal path. Um, I could still be your friend. I can still be supportive. But um, spiritually, I can't go down the same direction if you're going in an opposite direction of what I think is even um, biblical. But I can still be your friends. We can have dinner. We, you know, but... Anyway, hey, I hope today's show was uh, good. I hope you enjoyed uh, the book review. And ah, hey, it's the beginning of the week. Let's let's be successful this week. Let's do some stuff and get her done. And let's do this again tomorrow and see what happens. Love you guys. Bye bye.